What's an M. Night? M. Night Shyamalan, the Indian filmmaker from Philly. Oh my God, this dude's a big deal. He always you know puts some like awesome twist at the end of his movies to trick the audience. Oh yeah, yeah, like like in The Sixth Sense, you find out that the dude um, in that hairpiece the whole time, that's Bruce Willis the whole movie. That's not the twist. That's not the twist of that movie. That wasn't the twist. No. Hello and welcome to the M. Night Shift, the podcast where we review and discuss the career of filmmaker M. Night Shyamalan. I'm A.J. Gonzalez, video store clerk and movie blogger. And I'm Brian Connolly, also a person who works at a video store. The same one, in fact, as A.J. The very same. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, So this month's episode, I'm really, really looking forward to this one. Uh, Unbreakable from 2000. Man, has it been 17 years? Yeah. That is crazy. 17 years. I remember seeing this movie and I don't feel any more mature than I did. (laughs) I remember seeing this movie on VHS tape. I missed it in theaters. Whoa. Yeah, and I had not. Wait, why'd you miss it? Why'd you not see the theater? I don't know. I think it didn't come to the little four screen theater in my hometown. And it was a movie like my dad dreamed not worthy of the hour drive to Corpus Christi <laughs> to see. Uh, and so we w- watched this on DVD, so there is no trailers to review. No, sadly. I don't think there will be any more. I don't know. Some DVDs in the mid-aughts dump trailers at the beginning that you have to sit through to get to the thing. They're usually just that one where it's like, Universal, and here's George Clooney from Out of Sight, and here's some things from Universal, and movies, movies, and it's <laughs> over, and it's not, not an actual trailer. So no trailers, but it did come in a fancy box. Yes, it's the Vista uh, series. Vista series of, what What other movies come out in the Vista series? Do you remember? Um, I think The Sixth Sense. No, no I, yeah, Sixth Sense had a Vista series, possibly also The Fifth Element hmm. had a... No, the Fifth Element had a Superbit release. Whoa! Which what was meant, Superbit? It meant that the cover had a gray border on it, and it said Superbit. And I suppose if you had surround sound, it probably did something. You'd be like, "Man, this is so much better." The it's, sound, the difference. It's so uh, sharp. The picture's <laughs> so sharp. It can't get any better than this. I don't believe people when they say stuff like that because you know what? I remember there was a time. Where I watched Cliffhanger on VHS and I thought it looked amazing because at first because it was back when the opening credits were widescreen and then the movies in full screen. But that first minute where it's like them hanging from the mountain and on my, our family got just got a bigger TV and we're like this is amazing this looks so good. And then you know when everyone bought a DVD player they thought it looks the best and even better. And I think granted Blu-ray looks pretty sharp it looks pretty good but. Um, Man, I uh, yeah, I feel like when it goes into the weird sound, when it goes into the intricate nature of surround sound, I don't think there's actually a difference. Because yeah. I think if you have a really good surround sound system and you're watching just a regular DVD, and then you upgrade to eight bit, like is it really just like oh, you can hear the the minute? Like I just don't, I don't believe it. I never I'm got like, into it. Like <laughs> I had a friend whose uh, family had like surround sound, so everything he watched had to be in surround sound. And he really wanted me to hook up my the stereo I had in my room to my first VCR, then DVD player, so I would have something like surround sound. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I'm so old. I remember in the mid '80s, PBS showed 2001: A Space Odyssey, Whoa. and you actually were able to tune the radio to a station, and the station was playing the the movie soundtrack on the radio, so you could have it turned up full blast on your on your stereo, huh. and it lined up with what you were watching on PBS. Yeah. I remember as a kid sitting in my parents' bedroom because that's where the stereo was for some reason, and just jamming. Uh, 2001 full blast like all the way up to 60 and uh <clears throat> and that was that was like kind of surround sound i guess for 1986 um, yes. <laughs> so i'm sure surround sound is an option on the vista series unbreakable which oh. is a pretty nice dvd so yeah the, so the dvd comes with <clears throat> a little bio of Shyamalan, like in yes. the beginning. it comes out with a little book of like just sort of like because this is the first movie where everyone was like we know who he is now we're going to go see the new M. Night Shyamalan and the, movie. Yeah, the movie was uh, sold with him. It wasn't the new yeah. Bruce Willis movie. No. It wasn't like a new like thriller film. It was the new M. Night Shyamalan film. And uh, and so this was the first time where it's like, oh, M. Night Shyamalan. And then um, it also come, the, the box set also comes with like a comic, a drawing of Samuel Jackson's character and Bruce Willis' character done in like a comic book form like the drawings kind of in the movie. And then there's a lot of cool extra features which we'll go into. After. Yeah. I think we're, let's, let's talk about the movie first. Yeah. Well, first let's talk about this weird looking bottle of scotch that you got yeah, for this, it's quite one, weird. this episode scotch. It's, uh, it is the, the juggiest bottle of scotch <laughs> I've, I've ever had. Uh, we Today we are drinking Inverhouse Green Plaid very rare scotch whiskey which is probably which is has to be why it cost fourteen dollars <laughs> and was on the very bottom shelf at the liquor store that makes it rare so we're, ta- we're taking a risk here uh there is no legend nope there's no story on here <clears throat> it looks a lot like a christmas ornament like it's green it's green and rigid like it's got these ridges on it it's green it's plastic but I could see it like lighting up, and you like hanging it in a doorway at Christmas time or something like that. And it's it's covered in green plaid because it says yes. Inverhouse Green Plaid. So you got like this kind of fancy, you know, design around it. Uh, how's it taste? How's it taste to you? Uh, okay, it's certainly not the best scotch no. I've had. It definitely just tastes like a regular cheap. You know, yeah, scotch. there's not much flavor going on, like. It doesn't pop on on your tongue the way some of the scotches do, like uh, Lismore and J and B, which is one of my favorites. So sorry, Inverhouse. You know, yeah, that's good. So we won't be getting a free case of the Inverhouse. No, Inver- no, I have to say uh, goodbye to that. But uh, <laughs> it does come in a a green plastic bottle. It's huge. It, it's a huge bottle. It's I think it's still like the normal amount, maybe or maybe it I got. It seems like a, a lot. It seems like maybe it's more. I'll probably be drinking that for a while. Well, do you think you'll have it done before the next uh, next month's podcast? I could work on it. I'm still working on the one from last month. I still have a little oh. bit left. I see. I don't drink. I usually don't drink scotch, so it's all new to me. So I'm kind of slowly figuring out what to do with it. Back when, it. Uh, back when I was. Uh, quasi unemployed went, went went through scotch a little bit faster. One a week? Uh, maybe a little bit more. Wow, really? <laughs> That's a lot of scotch. Because you can't. I don't know. I for me, I can't drink it fast. This one, I, I think you can because this one is cheap and kind of watered down tasting. It doesn't really. 
Yeah, even without, even before the ice melted in there, it's this kind of doesn't have a lot of uh, taste to it. Not very strong. But you know, it does the job, and that's yep. all. You know, any that alcohol is. is good alcohol. I'll drink anything. Yeah, care. and it's uh, so it's green plaid, <laughs> green is an important color in uh, Unbreakable, mm-hmm. and the bottle itself, made out of plastic, you might also call Unbreakable. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> twist it all ties together. <laughs> All right, so is it my turn to tell the plot? Did you do it? Did you do the sixth sense? Do I have to do the plot? Uh, I have forgot. You did the sixth sense. Did I? Yeah. Oh, so you did Stuart Little. So I did Stuart That's Little. right. I forgot that we Stuart Little. Yeah. All right, so I'll do Unbreakable. <clears throat> Pretty simple plot, and like I said uh, last, well, like we say every month, there will be lots of spoilers because you can't not talk about the Shyamalan movies without talking about every twist and turn and everything that happens. So if you haven't seen the movie. What? Don't listen to this. What are you doing? Yeah, watch and, it. This one is uh, is great. And we're also going to talk about future Shyamalan movies. So really, if you don't want to have things spoiled, you just have to watch every M. Night Shyamalan movie first, then listen to these episodes. Because yes. we're going to jump around and, and things like that. Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah, we have to. Yeah, we have to, especially right. with Unbreakable. With Unbreakable, we have with yeah. what has happened lately. Yeah, so <clears throat> uh, the plot of Unbreakable... And what's, what's great is, so I remember when this movie came out, the trailers really only advertised Bruce Willis survives a train wreck. And that's all you knew. He was the last person to live, live through this giant uh, disaster where 300 people died, and he's the only one who lived unscratched, unbreakable, you would say. And so everyone was like, ooh, what could that be about? What is, like, is he, like, an invincible guy? Is he a ghost again? What's the, what is this? <laughs> and so the movie starts with, with that. And then basically, uh, he starts getting these weird cryptic messages uh, from somebody about, like, have you ever been sick before? When's the last time you remember, like, being in a hospital? Uh, it turns out it's from uh, this this guy uh, played by Samuel Jackson, who we see through flashback was born uh, with every bone in his body broken. And he just constantly, every few years breaks all the bones in his body till he's at the point where he's afraid to leave his house but his mom gets him to leave the house by leaving comic books for him in the park across the street to make him not so afraid of the world and then he becomes this like comic book aficionado and so you start following his character around who run who I, runs like an art gallery it seems like for like uh comic book art and he's real snobby about it yeah it's and like, wants it to be like this is take take this seriously it's not just for children there's like the power of myth. It's like a lot of Joseph Campbell type stuff of like, this is the myth, the mythical figures of our, of the 20th century of our time. Like, like th- these are our Hercules. These are our, you know, these are our characters are Superman, Spider-Man, etc. Though this movie didn't have the rights to those characters. So it was a lot of made up uh, characters that they were talked about in it. Um, and so he kind of basically convinces Bruce Willis. Like, I think you're one of these people. I think you are like, who the comic books, like, who the myths have been based on. You are the all-powerful, like, Superman, basically. And so the movie works as just sort of, like, a two-hour origin story. It's basically, like, what the first 40 minutes of a superhero movie usually is. This is the whole movie, but done as, like, a real, like, more real, like, what it would be like in the month of the person figuring out that they're a superhero. Yeah, and it's uh, real in 
like one thing that really irks me about uh, these dark comic book movies and about how dark Game of Thrones is, because man, if that really happened, it would be like that, man. It would be all dark mm -hmm. and dirty, mm -hmm. and everyone would be naked all the time on Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, but except no, because it's fictional. Someone made all that up. <laughs> but the way Unbreakable is is shot, uh, the the sets, and the way the characters are. This takes place like in the real world where the idea that you might have superpowers is like almost absurd. It takes the guy the whole movie to accept that. Yeah. And yeah, it's like that's not even an option. The only person that really believes it is his son, who's like 11, 12, probably, you know, the age when you're a. Uh, child comic book age mm -hmm. you know you haven't turned over to graphic novels yet yeah and so the movie is like kind of bruce willis fighting this idea that he's this comic book character in real life and him being like a crazy no way and so like this is big back and forth between bruce willis and Samuel jackson between bruce willis and his son between bruce willis and himself because he you know there's all these things that you're gonna learn that bruce willis kind of is like oh yeah i do i guess have an extra, like, you know, I kind of sense when people, like, are going to do something bad. I don't know why. And Samuel Jackson's like, well, that's not normal. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I am stronger than the average person. There's a part where he lifts a lot of weights and his, and his son keeps adding more and more weights until he's lifting, like, 500 pounds, like, with no effort. Um, and, um, and then basically there's no point where he's, like, after some master villain. Basically, once he accepts this fate that he is like a superhero. He just goes after like the worst person he could kind of figure out, like a, a murderer. <laughs> he kind of thinks about a rapist. He thinks about a thief. And he's like, I think murder is the worst of those three. Goes after murder is a big scene. And he, be, he comes out triumphant like the superhero. But the twist, I guess you would say in the movie. Yeah. I think this, uh, it, it does change. Is, is that you find out that the head villain is actually Samuel Jackson's character. So even though he's been helping Bruce Willis through the whole thing, and yet it turns out that Samuel Jackson caused that train wreck, has caused other major disasters other to look. He's a terrorist. Basically. He's a terrorist to look for the Superman because he wanted to find the person that was the opposite of him. And then, and then he goes into like that's how comic books are. That's how it is. Like you have the villain, and then the hero is always the direct opposite of that, and you're my opposite. And it kind of ends. With this big moment of like, oh shit, he's the yes. bad guy. And then it's all, it makes so much more sense because in the end, he's in like a wheelchair, he's got this crazy outfit, and you're like, oh yeah, he is like a comic book villain. Like, I just never, you didn't figure that out. I was actually genuinely surprised when I saw the movie. I totally he was. Ended too. Up being the, the villain because you're like, oh, he does have a funny, you know, Frederick Douglass type haircut. He does have this weird gloves and this purple suit and this glass cane and all this stuff. And uh, to have, and then he's like in the wheelchair at the end, and he just kind of looks like a Bond villain slash comic book villain, like movie villain. So even though this movie takes place in the quote unquote real world, it does, it kind of brings up this comic book imagery. Same with Bruce Willis being the hero, and he has his outfit of like his long kind of jacket, his yes. rain jacket, uh, his security jacket. Um, and that's the movie, that's, that's Unbreakable. Uh, I still think uh, walk the, the movies that we've watched to this point, this is hands down the best Shyamalan movie. We, I won't go into if it's better than the ones after this yet until okay. we get to those. 
But I say up until this point, like I was really looking forward to rewatching this, but I was also a little worried being like, oh, I haven't seen this in a long time. Is this still good? It totally is. It's totally still great. I feel it is still. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> it's an amazing film. It was when I saw it, uh, in the year 2000, it's now 17 years later, still great. Uh, I don't know. Uh, would I put this above the sixth sense? Maybe. I think you can maybe. rewatch this more than the sixth sense. Cause I feel the sixth sense hangs too much on the twist in a way. Whereas this one, it does. It's just like the whole journey is so awesome. And just like the first time I saw it when I was realizing like, Oh shit, this is like a comic book movie. This is so exciting. And it was like such a thrill to like, kind of be like, Oh, I was, I thought it was going to be some ghosty Shyamalan, like Sixth sense sort of thing. And it ended up being this, it's a comic book movie. And this came out at the time when that wasn't really a thing yet. No, it was um, the, yeah, there was a time before, comic book movies believe it or not was there an x-men movie at this point x-men came out summer 2000 so the same and, time yeah it was a big okay. it was a big big deal it was like the first real big budget studio the comic book movie that hired like a real serious filmmaker and put like a lot of effort into it and it opened with a whopping 56 million dollars <laughs> like, like that was amazing <laughs> And I've been looking forward to the X-Men movie since I was 10 years old and found out what the X-Men were. Uh, yeah, that was the summer. Unbreakable came out. Uh, 2000, November of 2000. Yeah, November of 2000. Then, so, yeah, there was like, like oh, like if you like comics, you like superheroes, this is it. Yeah. There was like, what, like the Batman movies from the 80s, early 90s, Superman movies. Yeah, uh, like the Shadow and the Phantom. Yeah. And at this point in the year two thousand, the Batman movies had gotten pretty silly. Jill Schumacher had made them uh, ridiculous. Yeah, uh, this was after Batman and Robin, right? Because that was like ninety eight. Yeah, I think something like that. And so this is like between X Men and the Sam Raimi Spider Man, which I think was that was two thousand two thousand May two thousand two. Yeah, yeah. So this is kind of in that middle, like before we got you know Marvel shoved down our throat. And before, you know, Christopher Nolan took Batman to an even more serious place. This was sort of like, in my opinion, the first, like, oh, this is like the first, like, serious kind of version of a superhero movie. Like, you had your your darker Tim Burton Batman, but it still was, like, fun. Yeah. But this is the first one where it's, like, a quote-unquote real movie. Not that those weren't other real movies, but, like, by, like, a master, at the point, a master filmmaker making, like, a real, like, his serious, dramatic, like, the acting, you know, very serious, you know, movie about a superhero. And done really, really well. Like, you'd think, oh, a whole movie that's an origin story is going to be so boring. Yeah, because uh, they make superhero movies now where half the movie is an origin story. And, you're, and it's, it's so boring. boring. It's so boring. <laughs> yeah. The, the first Hulk movie, where, like, not, no, not good. Oh, I like that movie. Uh, I like the I, only Hulk, Hulk movie. I think it was good. I, but like, a, like all the Fantastic Four movies where it's like, let's introduce everybody and then we'll never make another one because nobody wants to go <laughs> get into it again. Fan, Hollywood uh, is dedicated <clears throat> to getting Fantastic Four right. They keep trying. I think they're only making it to keep, retain the rights. I'm sure it's like, oh, oh absolutely. Let's do it again. But no one wants to actually try to make it good. Anyways, <laughs> back to Unbreakable. So when was the last time you watched this movie um probably uh sometime when i was in college 
mid-2000s. I don't know when it was I bought this DVD, but I watched this movie a few times. Maybe 2005, 2006, so about 10 years. <clears throat> wow. Except I, I think it's been longer for me. I used to own this. And I only owned it because um, I had a friend who owned it. He loved it. But for some reason, every DVD player he owned wouldn't play it. For, like, he just couldn't get it to work. So he gave, he just gave me uh, his copy, and I was able to you know watch it whenever I wanted. But it's been a while like since working in a video store and taking for granted like did all these movies at my fingertips. Like I haven't actually watched this movie in like probably 12 years the one the main the first thing i noticed right away uh which i think i didn't appreciate at the time or maybe i did it's been so long is how cinematic it is like it is a very incredibly well directed movie like every shot has so much meaning to it and you you see and you start to see that in the sixth sense for sure like there's like a lot of amazing shots in the sixth sense uh the whole movie in fact but this one like really i think even more so has a more deliberate style absolutely, uh, and, you're starting absolutely. To, and you're starting to pick up on what the Shyamalan style is like his own touch so the movie has like these incredible long shots when we saw one of them in the sixth sense like at that uh, the funeral scene where they go into the yeah. ghost there's that amazing long shot where it's kind of moving through all the people into the staircase but this movie begins like on the train where you're between you're kind of sitting between two seats watching Bruce Willis sort of try to flirt with this lady who doesn't want to be flirted with, and it's all one shot, and the, and the camera keeps kind of moving back and forth in this kind of claustrophobic. It's all done in like close-up, claustrophobic uh, framing, and then the whole movie has that, like this shot. This there's a shot where Bruce Willis is told that you're the only survivor, and they're thinking, they're looking at you like it, like you're amazing. And there's this long scene where he walks out, and there's all the families of the dead and reporters, and it's just like this really long kind of shot as it moves through this hallway with him. And most of the scenes are done in either a master shot or a movie shot where it's just sort of like people doing it in one uh, one yeah. take. It. There are a lot of long takes in this film, and it's not done in a very showy way. No. Like in The Sixth Sense, there was a lot of impressive camera movement, mm -hmm. and there were a few like long uh, scenes done in like one long take. Uh, but this movie, I don't remember right away any, uh, any like impressive, memorable camera movements, but the the shot compositions of those like master shots of long takes. Like uh, there's a shot of when Samuel Jackson as Elijah Price, yes, Elijah <laughs> Price goes to visit Bruce Willis at the uh, stadium where he works as a security guard. Mm -hmm. uh, they're standing off in the background and the camera in the foreground is like uh, behind some bars yeah and they're both framed yeah. in the bars and they have their conversation <clears throat> and it's a long but uh, entertaining and engaging scene and it's just shot beautifully it's i think i think it's really it's it is worth noting that we didn't remember it was sort of so well composed <laughs> they feel like that's a sign of a good movie is that it is not drawing itself it's not drawing attention to like look at this camera trickery. Like it, it is like you're still invested in the story, still invested in the movie. But watching it again, like I'm noticing, like gosh, like look at these crazy shots. Like this is such a well directed, well composed movie. But it doesn't like it's not show offy. It's not like I mean maybe he was trying to show off. I don't know, but like it doesn't come off as that. It's not like when you watch a movie from like a film student where the camera's doing all this stuff. Yeah. And you're like, oh man, look Absolutely. at what he he learned how to do all these things. Uh, but it's just like it has a style. It's got it's got like a kind of a cramped 
almost claustrophobic still at parts. Like I really love how the big, the big scene of the train wreck, you never see the train wreck. It's just on Bruce Willis's face and sort of his point of view and close up. And then it cuts to his son watching the news. And then you see on the TV screen, the, the aftermath of the wreckage. And then you cut to Bruce Willis waking up in the hospital or whatever. So you never actually get this big, like if it was made by other people, there'd be this huge, crazy special effects, like trains crashing, people dying, you know, this crazy scene. But because it's done, it really grounds, I think it grounds it in more of a real feeling. And this is something that Shyamalan is going to continue, like Signs is going to get into that with like the alien invasion from the point of view of just this family. You don't get these grand Independence Day type scenes of that. And it's still kind of like kept in this like closer quarters like just with the, the main people's kind of their point of view of what's going on um <clears throat> yes i was re-impressed by how well this movie was uh, put together the one problem i have with this film <laughs> which i had the first time i saw it and it almost ruined my watching experience the first time i saw it whoa i can't wait uh, to hear what this is and found it like almost like stunting uh watching it again for the podcast is the in the very final scene the climax of the film when it's coming to this wonderful emotional conclusion there's a freeze frame uh for epilogue (laughs) cards after bruce willis like he thanks samuel jackson for for you know showing him his purpose and and helping him in his journey uh he shakes hands with Samuel L. Jackson and and I guess that's the first time he's ever touched Samuel L. Jackson. Well he's wearing Samuel L. Jackson wears gloves through the movie, so I don't mm-hmm. know if it's like he can't feel through the gloves or I don't know like mm-hmm. if that was a part of it. But he gets flashes of all the uh, the terrorist uh, the terrorist attacks that Samuel Jackson has set up in his search for his opposite. And Bruce Willis looks like shocked and devastated and Elijah just looks like very calm and serious and pensive and says like how long he's been looking for Bruce Willis for someone like him. And he finally understands his purpose, like his place in the world by finding this other man and showing him his place in the world. It gives his life and his existence meaning, which is to be a villain. Yeah. It's, it's this, uh, it's, intense. it's this intense moment. <clears throat> like, even no, like even knowing that you're a villain, that you're a bad person that does really bad shit, is more satisfying. It's more calming than not knowing your place in the world. I think he says that's the scariest thing: is not knowing your place in the world. That he's not a mistake, and Bruce Willis can't take it, and he starts to leave. And then the camera freeze frames, <laughs> and the words like David Dunn. Like the next day, David Dunn led authorities <laughs> to Elijah Price's office <laughs> and police found the evidence. And then he keeps walking because Samuel Jackson's calling after him. Like, I should have known. I should have known. You know why? Because of the kids. The kids. First freeze frame. And then it continues on. Like, they called me Mr. Glass. Like that, you know, it's his name, his yeah. villain name. And then... Another epilogue card, like Elijah Price is now in an institute for the criminally insane. <laughs> and the film ends. And it's like, what? Why? What? I hate it when epilogue cards show up in at the end of uh, movies that aren't based on true stories. 
or that aren't movies about a group of high school kids like having <laughs> they sound one like last Ron Howard ride. His pals like, and you want to know what they did after high school? Yeah, what happened to Ron Howard? It, feel, it feels, yeah, it feels like the end of a Dragnet episode. And, you know, like they were booked for, you know, and it, it, it did like you didn't need it because the movie could have just ended with that moment. And he probably, as a smart person, could have assumed somebody did Bruce Willis did something yeah. about this probably you know like he does he's not going to keep killing people or wait you're not but i think leaving it like i don't like i wonder if that was a studio thing if they're like you need to like you need to make sure that we know that he went like to jail like he went away or is that a Shyamalan like kind of not i don't know on the right i moment? i feel like it has to be like a studio thing because the film reaches its like emotional conclusion mm-hmm. and it's a natural ending if the film just ended right there yeah, and you would know, like, well, he, you know, probably then turned in Mr. Glass, but some studio guys were like, "What?" And then he gets away with it, <laughs> like, no, like, well, don't, like, no, it's like, uh, you know, David Dunn's a good guy; he's gonna lead the police to him. Like, well, but if it's not on the screen, we don't know, and we're not paying for reshoots, so just <laughs> Put a add some cards on. Like, it's like there, there's a visual, visually interesting <laughs> way to do that. Like, if there had just been a Except that there's a police officer, like a detective, at the art gallery where that scene takes place. Like, I am glad that the movie didn't keep going and we didn't see, like, Bruce Willis come back with cops or whatever. But, yeah, yeah. Different. it's weird because the movie kind of builds this emotional thing. And you're like, oh, shit. And then, yeah, that, t- that freeze-frame title card, you're like, Because uh. <laughs> there's nothing else in the movie like that. Like, there's a title card at the very beginning talking about, like, comic books. Yeah, it's like setting up, like, the About legend. how many times yeah. comic book and comic books are sold this many years, how many people read it, you first are like, why are you telling me this? And you realize, like, this is kind of where this is going. But, yeah, the end, it's it's not necessary uh, at all. <laughs> And when I first saw this, I remember being really let down by it and being like, ah, oh, what a dumb twist. It's Emma Jackson's to be the bad guy. Like, I wish it wasn't that way. I wish they were just friends, like, fighting crime together. But watching it again, I really like that. Like, I really like that ending. Like, it really works, except for the, the little card at the yeah. end. Another thing that I realized while watching this is that it's the third movie with Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson in it together. Uh, okay, so they were in Pulp Fiction together. And then Dired with a Vengeance. And then right. this. So I would like to think that they are pals, that they like working. Like they're no, they're not on screen together in Pulp Fiction. Like they pass each other in Marcellus Wallace's club, but they don't actually say anything to each other. But you know, Die with a Vengeance, like they're they in the whole movie together. Uh, and then they were never in a movie together again. Like I think this was it. Never again. Yeah. Well, Bruce Willis kind of never again made good things, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. including with Shyamalan. I just thought like maybe like, they keep doing more, but. They did not. And Samuel Jackson is so good in this movie. I feel Bruce Willis is good, but he's kind of doing more of that, like, I'm the quiet Bruce Willis that we saw in The Sixth Sense, where he his version of, like, not action movie acting is like, I'm going to be a little more quiet, a little more vulnerable. It's good. He's great. But Samuel Jackson, like, as always, just, like, is the, like, reminds me that he is, like, one of the best actors ever, that he is Humphrey Bogart of our time. Like, he's just, like, can deliver time and time again, just has this strong presence always and just like owns whatever scene he's in it's uh, every time like yeah he makes so many movies so many kinds of movies that you kind of forget that we take him for granted like, i think we take for granted know, that he's he in is snake, a great like he great. snakes on a plane like the sidekick in legend of tarzan <laughs> but he is like a truly great actor so good and then like that it's great that first scene where he's yelling at the guy <laughs> 
he want because the guy's buying the art from his from his comic book show, his and he's like, "I'm gonna take it to my kid." And his him like, "Wait, what? What are you doing?" And the dialogue feels almost like a Tarantino movie, but it only feels like a Tarantino movie because it's Samuel Jackson. It's the way he says the dialogue is so it's just so him. It feels like it was written for him, like the way he's like, "Does this seem like? Does this look like?" A, you know, like the way he just lists off why this guy shouldn't have the this this art is so funny and so uniquely Samuel Jackson. Like it really is like the dialogue that only he can deliver in that way. And it's, it's really funny. Like when he kind of breaks down the, the lines and like these funny little like stabs of dialogue, they're just, so, it's so good. It's just, he's, it's got such power to it. And that part, the part where he falls down the stairs is really upsetting. Like when he, when you see him break his legs, when he's uh, rolling down the uh, subway stairs, it's just like really awful. Yeah, because yeah, he just you feel, he, he has so much emotion, and he just really it's just like a great. One, I think this is one of his great great performances. Yeah, there is uh, yeah, really good sound design in this film that makes you really feel the uh, all the breaks that Samuel Jackson endures, how how painful they are. Yeah, the uh, scene. I like uh, towards the end when Bruce Willis he's he's going out in his like first mission, so he just goes to that train station and he's in his poncho <clears throat> and just uh, like lets people bump into him, mm-hmm. and when they bump into him, he like gets flashes of the bad stuff they've done, mm-hmm. uh, and all the all the bad people that bump into him. It's a very the color palette in this film is very muted. There's lots of like dull colors. Or like a green, the greens are dull in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all these people they're wearing when the, uh, he gets the flashes, they have like very bright, bold yeah. colors. Yeah. And the guy that he goes after is in is this maintenance worker in an all orange suit, bright orange. Yeah, yeah. bright orange. That uh, like me and my friend in high school just called the orange man. <laughs> so the climax of this film was unbreakable versus the orange man. Mm-hmm. And the score that accompanies that is great. I, I love this score. Yeah. It's a great I love soundtrack. Mo- most of it. it. It gets a bit kind of a mid, like early two thousands techno. at some point. Oh yeah. Towards the end when he's in this uh, train station, like kind of still people has that kind of like but, techno but, beat, yeah. which sadly also was like how the James Bond movies end up sounding like the Pierce Brosnan ones <laughs> has a kind of like little bit of a techno like a, yeah, electric drum kit it also ruined uh, some of the U2 albums in the late 90s when uh, they got all techno yeah. for some people not for me Bono for life yeah. but but I really like I really like that scene yeah it's a great mostly non-verbal there's no real dialogue in that scene but it's it's this uh, very visually interesting and engaging and it's an interesting scene because you see the bad things that are still gonna happen that Bruce Willis is not gonna help out with <laughs> uh, like this one lady's gonna be raped this one other person is stealing jewelry uh, from a thing there was uh, what there was there, there was another one uh, there, there was, was uh, uh, this racist guy like he throws a bottle at a person's head yeah. Uh, but he was like, okay, I guess I'll deal with like the serial killer guy who's like, like you know, yeah. to the stand. But do you think those are things that are going to happen or things that have already happened? Oh, interesting. Because hmm. I feel like they're I think are things thing... that already happen. Huh? Yeah, I didn't think about that. Is it stuff that already happened? So then, when so the scene when he has the I thought that the guy in line has a gun. You're thinking that the thing he sees. Is it the guy just putting the gun on? Yeah. But not him actually shooting people or doing a future. It's not a future premonition. It's more yeah. of a what has already happened, what this person's kind of holding on into their mind or whatever the, you know, hocus pocus stuff works. 
I guess that makes sense. So it's just sort of like, oh, this scumbag already did this bad thing. Oh, well, like, what can you yeah. do? Like, this person already threw the bottle at their head. But this person's holding a family hostage in their own home and slowly murdering them. I guess I should yeah. help with that. Like, that, I guess that, that makes sense. And what's great, so we get our, our uh, Shyamalan cameo as one of these people that he has this feeling for. We're at, at the uh, sports stadium where Bruce Willis works as security, Shyamalan is, like, doing some sort of creepy drug deal where he's got something hidden in a garbage can in the bathroom, and then Bruce, Will- Bruce Willis goes after him and sort of, like, quest- questions him about, like, uh, like we don't want that around. Like, we don't do that around here. And then, like, Shyamalan kind of nervously kind of, you know, <laughs> but he's, he's actually yeah. really good at sort of, like, this weaselly uh, kind of uh, nervous, like, drug dealer. Yeah, he didn't have uh, <laughs> many lines. <laughs> but he's good. He's good. He was, yeah, he, he was good. Uh, it was a good cameo. And as my wife pointed out, he does for he does go into the Jesus Christ pose when he is being searched by Bruce Willis. <laughs> Shyamalan does put his arms out uh, to both sides in a in a Christ like pose. So intentional, I don't know, because then there's also a lot of Christ like imagery with Bruce Willis and his character, his immortal, like uh, eternally good character. <laughs> uh, something my wife pointed out was there's a lot of scenes that start out with someone viewing something upside down. Yes, that happens a lot. So, you have the, so it starts with the kid watching the news report at the beginning. Yeah, he's on the couch upside, upside down, down. And it turns... And then there's a the really weird one where it's younger... Samuel Jackson's character, the younger person, looking at his first comic book, and it turns, and it never gets right side up. It's like you're... Tur- and eventually yeah. it does, but like you're turning... But then even when he turns it, the camera still turns with it, so you're not seeing it upright until uh, till the, the until a little little longer. And then there's another one. Uh, what's the other one? There's another upside down one. Uh, there's a few. There is a few in there. It's like someone sees something one way, and then the world is actually a little different. Yeah, when, like uh, yeah, when a uh, young Elijah's mother gives him comic, the comic books, uh, she tells him, this one has a surprise ending. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that was a little wink to the audience of like, we know what you're up to, Shyamalan. Another interesting thing that I realized while watching this is that, so water ends up being the kryptonite of oh, the Bruce yeah, character. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. the next Shyamalan movie with his signs... Water ends up being a weakness in that movie too. We won't go into that too much, but like that, like that's interesting. That he had two movies in a row where water is like the punishment. One where water the, hurts the villains. This one where water hurts, hurts the, the hero. hero. Yeah. So what is what timeline having is water? Is he like a Wolfgang Peterson type where he just hates water so much he's going to devote more than one movie about how awful water is? Water is great. Like water is, tastes good. Water is helpful. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Just maybe Shyamalan does like a swimming. Maybe I I uh, am not a swimmer. And I do not like going out in the water or in pools where the water <laughs> is like beyond my chest. So the scene when uh, Bruce Willis now he's you know if he's got his poncho on he's gonna go save you know see if he can who we can save from this family. Because it's pretty clear that the father is already dead. You know, he's got his poncho on, so he's un, you know, he's unbreakable now. He goes into the house. The orange man attacks him and throws him out the window. And he lands on something that's a weird moving. A weird thing, plastic yeah. thing. 
and he looks up and it's the tarp of a above ground swimming pool and he sees like you from his point of view you see the tarp start to <clears throat> fall this, this scene in. is so well it's so good it's so, well it's so done. good it is so tense yeah it's yeah. so tense and uh, he gets out of it and goes and fights the orange man and that part is awesome when it's like i, I love that part where it's like he Bruce Willis' character is getting thrown into the wall, and he's making these huge Terminator-sized dents in the wall, like because he's because yeah. so, he's because he's you know so, super powerful. He's just like getting thrown and just like making these giant holes in the wall. Uh, that part is awesome. <laughs> it's great. It's like so Bruce Willis, like he uses his, he uses all of his powers to uh, to uh, defeat the Orange Man and save the kids because the mm-hmm. mother tragically was dead before he got there. Yeah, which kind of then takes away from the ending like the ending of him turning in elijah price where bruce willis the real life comic book hero defeats the super arch villain by telling the cops yeah yeah <laughs> yeah if he's so powerful why does he pick up samuel jackson throw him out the window <laughs> he's too good he's he lit you know he Lives by the law. Robin Wright Penn is also this movie, which I totally forgot. Me too. Uh, which I guess doesn't speak well to her character because it's like she is a great actress. Like we all love her as Jen A from Forrest Gump <laughs> and uh, and the Princess Bride. Uh, but in this one, she's just kind of like the sad wife. You yeah, know? it's not. Like, a, it's not. It's not. It's, it's not a stock character. But it still feels like they don't do. It's like she do, they don't really do more of it than it. She looks like every scene. It began with her rubbing her eyes a lot, and then they yelled action to make it look like she's been crying a bunch. And she's kind of like the sad mom, sad yeah. wife. Yeah, Bruce Willis in um, Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson and his son Joseph are definitely like the focus mm-hmm. of this film. And then also, you know, his wife is there, and he's trying to patch things up and yeah. trying to you know work through these problems they're having in their marriage. Yeah. Uh, but it, it 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 does feel. But that's that's kind of because like she's not a part of this story of him being a superhero. Like the whole movie goes without her ever knowing that happens. Yeah. Uh, the son does, but at the very close to the end, like the like Bruce Willis pushes the newspaper to the son at the table with the picture, the drawing of him with the news report of him saving the family from the serial killer guy. And this kind of this silent moment of like, I did it. See, I went, I went through with being a Superman. Yeah. He holds his but, finger up to his lips. And just like, don't tell me, yeah. don't tell your mom. And so the mom's kind of like more classic Lois Lane type of like the oblivious, like, I don't know what's going on. Like, what does he do? I don't know. And the whole movie is just her just being like, I wish our marriage worked out better. And she's a part of the, his past of like, they were in this horrible car accident and he had a lie saying that he like hurt himself so he can play football just for her because he knew that that wasn't a life that she wanted. But it doesn't, like, her character's not as well-rounded as, like, Tony Collette's in, in The Sixth Sense. Oh, totally, totally. Uh, We now where you just, like, there's actual... Uh, there's like, depth, like, there's, there's depth. Like, this it really is just more like... Inner emotions, You're the sad emotions. lady. <laughs> you're the sad lady on the sidelines. Like, you're sad, and hopefully at the end you're not as sad, because he's not moving away and you're not getting divorced or whatever. But, like, yeah, it's weird that I totally blocked from my mind that she was in this movie, that she was the late. And when it started, I was like, who is that? That lady looks familiar. And then I was like, oh, it's Robert Wright Penn. I just didn't think it was because the role isn't as meaty as something you think that she would be given. Um, yeah, it's one of those movies, like, at the very end, uh, well, t- towards the end, after Bruce Willis uh, you know, save, saves the family and he comes home, uh, he gets in bed with his wife and tells her, 
that uh, he had a bad dream. And earlier in the film, she asked him, how do you know our marriage was over? And he said that he had a bad dream and he didn't wake her up to, uh, to comfort him. Yeah. So like they like the Bruce Willis's character is invested. It is important to him to, uh, <clears throat> to fix his marriage and be emotionally connected to his wife again. But like that is not very important to the arc of him becoming a superhero. Mm-hmm. Like if you you could not saying you should or that would be good, but like you could probably remove most of Robin Wright's scenes from this film and it wouldn't change what's going on that much. Yeah, like the emotion to me is invested in like Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson, mm-hmm. and and then the son is like second, and yeah. then Robin Wright Penn is like third. Yeah, and the the kid who plays his son, I don't remember seeing him in anything else. I don't either. They didn't quite get the home run that they got with the Haley Joe Osment. No, that was like, <laughs> like that was a like a, a lifetime uh, thing. The kid's good. He's, he's good. fine, but he has definitely has that kind of early aughts look of sort of like the long haired kind of you know like yeah kid a little like a like like it's not anything to write home about. Uh, no, like I don't remember him in anything else. I'm sure he's in other things, but he's he's good. He does his job. <laughs> and, yeah, he's he's not distracted. And the scene, the scene, but and it's weird is like there's a yet another scene in this movie, another a Shyamalan movie where there's a person pointing a gun at Bruce Willis and his wife and there's a moment of like don't know what are you doing so just like the beginning of the sixth sense with uh donnie Wahlberg in this scene in this movie you have their son pointing the gun at bruce Willis, being like i'm gonna shoot you i'm gonna prove that you're superman and this won't hurt you and it's like a good scene and it's like it's a good scene but it is very similar to that scene the sixth sense of like don't shoot me wait wait don't know to do it like upset you know um younger person i was hoping he would shoot him i was hoping he was doing it and then be, and just be like see i am okay and then but then you the have way, to include but then you have to include the wife in on it and then yeah. it'll just be much more complicated yeah the, the, the way bruce um, willis uh talks down his son is 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 great first he's telling him like no like remember i almost drowned the boy at your school that all the school kids say like oh like this kid drowned in the pool like that was me and I was hurt in that car accident, remember? And then that's not working. So he says, okay, fine. I am, you know, I do have these powers. I am super strong and unbreakable. The bullets just bounce right off me. But then I'm going to go upstairs and leave. Yeah. I'm going to leave because because friends don't shoot each other. <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, that scene is powerful. And it's interesting that there's two movies in a row by Shyamalan where it's like, Bruce Willis has to talk, try to talk someone down unsuccessfully in the sixth sense, successfully in this one uh, to not get shot. <laughs> <laughs> so the DVD has a lot of uh, extra stuff. Yep. It has it actually really good making of. It's pretty long. Uh, and there's an interesting part where Shemlin does talk about twists in it, where he talks about like the audience are kind of expecting a thing from him. At the end, referring to the ending of this with, uh, I think, Sam L. Jackson being uh, uh, the bad guy. But, like, even, like, after the one movie, even after The Sixth Sense, Shyamalan's already, like, audiences are expecting me to have some sort of, like, surprise at the end. Which will eventually, I think, be the downfall of (laughs) Shyamalan. Yeah, it's like... Uh, And it's it's kind of sad. Like, I wish, like, I wished in this movie he was like, no, you don't get, like, that was that, for that movie... 
and that was it. I'm not gonna be the king of twists. But then he decided to take that take that role. <laughs> yeah, the the twists in um, in the Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, and I don't really feel like there's a twist in Signs, but we'll we'll, we'll get to that. And then oh. the twist in the Village. Yeah. So the twist in uh, Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, they feel organic. They feel earned. Like it's a natural part of the story. Mm-hmm. And then the twists in his later film feel like. I gotta, For, I gotta do I the gotta twist. Do it. I gotta, I gotta the people do want it. it. I gotta do it. It's like Tim Burton and Bendy trees. It's like I gotta make those trees bendy because <laughs> they're expecting it. They don't yeah. want a normal looking tree in a Tim Burton movie. Uh, yeah, Shyamalan in that uh, making of he did like say like these movies like I always thought I'm doing like feature like Twilight Zone episodes. Yeah, which is true. And Twilight Zone is one of my absolute favorite TV shows of all time. The original Twilight Zone, of course. But when these movies started getting, like, not as good, I would say, like, well, that would have been okay if it was a 20-minute Twilight Zone episode. But it had to be feature length, so it got stretched out, and there really wasn't enough there beyond the twist to, uh, to hold the film together. So... He he, just like just like Rod Serling and Charles Beaumont and Richard Matheson, they made good Twilight Zone episodes and bad Twilight Zone episodes. <laughs> Shyamalan's made good films, great films with twists, and and bad films with twists. Do you think that uh, Shyamalan has ever met Chevy Checker? They're both like, man, why did we just embrace <laughs> the twist? Why couldn't we go beyond the twist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's just kind of sad in that interview where he's just sort of like, yeah, the audience is just like they want, like they're going to expect a twist, and it's just like I think that gets really gets in his head, and then he tries to get away from that later on, and it and then people you know hate him more for it because they then they don't get the twist, so they hate that he's doing all the twists, and they hate that he's not doing a twist, and now he's back to kind of doing the twist again, and it's work, it's working for now. Uh, but it's just kind of sad that he kind of decided to do that. Like, because it's like, not every Alfred Hitchcock movie has a surprise ending. You know, there's no. surprises throughout as there would be in any mystery. Not every... But you're not expecting from a Hitchcock movie to have that thing at the last second that's like, like oh man, you know, like. Hitchcock, no. mas- uh, Hitchcock Master of Suspense also made Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Or like North like, by Northwest, it's all a MacGuffin, and there's no big twist at the end. There's just an amazing, you know, fight at the on Mount Rushmore, you know. Yeah. And it's not. It's like Psycho has a definite twist at the end. That Norman Bates is, you know, the mom, and you know, and you have Vertigo, where it's you know, kind of a little bit of twist of like, oh yeah, Dick, she That's is really the, the other person, and she dies in the way that they think. Complicated. I and mean, it's not quite a twist, but like, and Rear, you know, Rear Window doesn't really have a twist. You kind of already know that it's, you know, Raymond Burr's the murderer, but then it's like, he definitely is at the end. But the fact that Shabron kind of locks in on this, like, I have to, oh, it's, he's like, it's like, oh, Henry, where it's like, I have to have, <laughs> the audiences expect me to have this thing at the end, like, this is my thing, and it will be, it will be in the long run, a mistake to, like, kind of go with that. Like, I think if he had done, like, other, fi- like, other filmmakers that make a thing and it becomes huge and then things are expected of them, usually the movie immediately afterwards, they go against it if they're really, you know, like, like Jackie Brown is very different than Pulp Fiction. It is. You know, and, and like, Pulp Fiction is a little more similar to, to Reservoir Dogs, but Jackie Brown is a very much slower movie. It's not the same thing. It's not full of as much, you know, of the pop culture reference. Like, it's there, but it's more subtle. 
and it's di- it's a different thing or like going from like mall rats to chasing Amy or it's like it's good to kind of break out of sort of what is expected of you or else you could yeah. get trapped. I feel like the filmmakers that it, don't do that what happens is and if their first film's a a, a success if it's a hit their first film will be a hit it'll be great. Second film also a hit also great. The third film they're either maybe too full of themselves or maybe the studio is like that kid knows what he's doing leave him alone so the third film then is like the make or break film usually it's the break film where like oh that one didn't work 1941 didn't work (laughs) but yeah i just feel like he if he had just made a good movie which he did but didn't have that end. It still would have been a great movie, and he, who knows what his career could have been? Because after this, you're gonna find him. We're gonna find him as our episodes go on, just kind of being locked around this idea of like, I need to have this twist. I need to have the end switch to a different thing that you then you expected, time and time again, to the point of it being ridiculous. Of it being like, yeah. no, like you could have just made a good movie. <laughs> you didn't need to have that part at the end. Of the thing. And then this is what's interesting too, then, is then all these other movies at this time are going to start to do this thing. You're going to start to get movies that are going to start throwing these twists in because it's popular, of the Shyamalan made is popular. So, like, the year with, with when uh, Sixth Sense came out, I think yeah, I, you have Fight Club and The Matrix all in 1999. Uh, that I think is just weird coincidence that they were not inspiring each other. But then you're gonna get post uh, post Shyamalan in a terrible way movies like Identity, which is some of the one of the worst twists. Like, do you remember that movie Identity? Yeah, where yeah it's I like, think we should talk oh, about it. It's so like you have this whole movie where there's this amazing mystery and like what's gonna happen, and they're in this hotel and they're finding keys, and it's almost like playing a game of Mist, if you would, if you would. And then at the end, you find out. Actually, it's all in the mind of serial killer. This whole movie is just in his head, and this is like what he's thinking of. And you're like, what? <laughs> and, and and you're just getting these bad movies that like could have been fine. You know, that was it could have been a fine, decent, you know, uh, John Cusack thriller. But then you have this dumb twist, and then you have stuff like um, was Mothman prophecies post Shyamalan? Was that? Uh, was that was, was definitely that, like was 2002, <laughs> 2003. And you're just getting. Just like these half-assed, like, and then at the end, wait, this, this this thing, and then Shyamalan gets caught up in it. Sadly, here it still works. Like here, you're just kind of like, oh, this is just like a weird uh, a, a thing about these characters that we didn't know about. It's definitely a shock that Samuel Jackson isn't being the bad guy. You don't expect it, but in the plot, it makes sense. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, it totally works. Oh, and that works with this theme of this comic book thing of heroes and villains. Like, okay, like this works, and then we're gonna start to see it to not work as much and be in conflict with sort of like the movie prior to the ending. Did you watch the deleted scenes? I watched some of, I I, I watched some of them. I got a kick out of, uh, Knight standing in that warehouse, just be like, here, let me introduce you. He was a cool leather jacket. He was walking around. He looked like, um, it was almost like the the guy that d- did America's Most Wanted. <laughs> John Walsh. Yeah, John yeah. Walsh. He had like a John Walsh yeah. to it. John Walsh or like a Robert Stack Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. You're expecting to like kind of tell you something really serious and dark uh, all by himself. And he, you know, he clearly bought that leather jacket with his six cents money. Like he's doing okay at this point. Uh, I didn't watch it all. I did watch that longer scene where it's the 
flashback of Samuel Jackson's character as a kid, like in the amusement park. Yeah. And that's a really good scene. It's really upsetting. And 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 Shemeline has said like this was the hardest one to cut. And this scene was the one that I kept thinking about when we were going to make the movie. Like, oh, that scene, that scene. Like, it required lots of extras. It all takes place at a carnival. And the character who's, like, this kid who has, like, easy, very easily hurt. He's got, like, these two big stuffed animals with him and this blanket. And he's, like, really wants to ride this ride. And it's protecting himself from being it's hurt. A, it's a tilting having world, so this, it's not uh, even a very intense cushy, cushy buffer. But then, of course... Everything goes wrong, and he breaks every bone in his body like he's been doing, and it's this really intense uh, scene. It's a, Yeah, really sad. Like, he yeah. he can't... He, like, in any other movie, like, that would have been a triumph. Like, it would have worked. Yeah. Like, see, I can, yeah. like, have fun and be a normal kid. But, like, no, you can't. Because you'll be so caught up having fun, you won't notice your buffer, your safety net has mm-hmm. disappeared. Yeah. The, there's an... Ex- I don't know if it's extended or if it was just completely cut where after the accident, the train accident, Bruce Willis goes to talk to a priest. Yeah, yeah, that's a deleted scene. Yeah, he goes to talk to the priest and says, like, he wasn't, you know, hurt. He was the only survivor. So does this, like, mean anything? Like, you know, it has to mean something. And the priest just says, like, look, I'm going to say it's luck. It was just luck. (laughs) It's like, I know you want to say that, you know, you were chosen. It's all part of God's plan. But I don't have any of those in me anymore. Like my nephew was on that train and his neck was shattered. And the whole family, my parishioners, died in a fire a few years ago. And someone else he knew died in a plane that blew up just after takeoff. And those are all the terrorist events that mm-hmm. Elijah Price has set up. Uh, and then the priest just like, walks away and to me it was even though it was cut it was a very uh, thematically uh, a strong Shyamalan scene because it, it reminded me of Wide Awake mm-hmm. where the boy thinks like there's that cardinal like the boss of bosses for priests who's going to be able to answer all my problems like so I will track him <clears> down and he'll help me he'll, he'll help me understand like my place in the world my place in, in life and then he sees that the priest is just like a sick old man. Yeah. And he doesn't find any solace or comfort in it. And this is another scene of a person going to a, a priest and a spiritual authority figure that everyone, since you're a child, has told you, like, oh, like, if you have a problem, you can, you know, you're trying to understand something, like, go, like, you know, talk to your priest and mm-hmm. they will help you understand it and make you feel better. And he tries that, and it doesn't work. It never has in my own personal experience. So it's something <coughs> something strongly that I related to, and then also something I felt like that really, really fit in with Shyamalan's themes of, like, you're looking for your place in the world, mm-hmm. and the place you think to look is of absolutely no help to you. <laughs> and then there's also a documentary about kind of comic books and sort of like where comic books went and go, uh, which was interesting. They talked to Frank Miller and this is, it's interesting because it's Frank Miller pre all the shitty movies. That were <laughs> Frank Miller, uh, uh, comic. City. So, uh, so he's still kind of this like, Ooh, Frank Miller, like, Oh cool. Like he changed the game and he made dark Batman yeah. dark. And then like, you know, this is before like 300 and the, 
the spirit movie. The spirit, which is I'll weird because the, they talk to the actual creator of this. Yeah, spirit, Will Eisner. They talk to Will Eisner, and uh, it's very interesting. And they can tell who's the fellow they talk to. He's kind of like, oh, Frank Miller. I don't, you know. There's I, one of the old guys like isn't so into Frank Miller. I do not remember. Uh, but it's an interesting. It's an interesting documentary. It's definitely worth watching. It doesn't really. It's it's just it's like a classic like early aughts. Like we let's make this DVD full of extra features. It doesn't really add a lot to the movie of Unbreakable. No. No. But it is an interesting sort of like how the role of heroes change in uh, in comic books. How they started as sort of like these like good old boy American you know, heroes to the darker, more flawed, you know, Frank Miller, you know, Dark Knight sort of thing. And then my favorite extra feature is M Night Shyamalan's first uh, fight scene, or yeah. whatever it's called. And just like on the Sixth Sense Vista thing. It's a clip from one of his, like, childhood movies. I wish he would just, like, put a whole thing out of all of them. I would love to watch. Because he's made, supposedly, the rumor is, over a hundred of these movies. Like, before uh, his Pray With Anger, he made, just made constant movies with his fr- family and friends. And it's really endearing. It's like, yeah, it's poorly made. It's like a classic, like, made by 12-year-old, like, piece of garbage but I was 12 but it's it's great and even Shyamalan in the intro who I think is unnecessarily harsh towards these because like yeah you were 12 like it's not gonna be as good as like the Weinstein movie you made or the Universal Picture or whatever it's but he's like so he's so like oh I'm so embarrassed but it's oh this is like so bad it's like yeah you're 12 man like come on it's okay <laughs> like we like we don't expect you to like know what you're doing then uh, but I wish he would put out just like, I wish there'd be like a set of like all of those movies. I would watch that in a, like a second. And it's great. It's, it stars him. It's Shyamalan, yeah. like kind of just punching some friends. It's actually really well done. Like as hard as Shyamalan is on the quality of the filmmaking, the punches look good. It really looks like they're punching it each really other. It really looks like they're punching each other. And yeah. I can't remember if he like, if they did the sound while they were shooting or if it was added in later, because you can still do that on home video. Yeah. But like the punches, they had like, no, it's like good. Real sound effects. And like, it looks like that's really what makes a film feel professional is the sound. Yeah. I, uh, so that was great that that was on there. I think he doesn't include more of these in future. I DVD do releases, not recall that on the, which is too bad. DVD. Cause I really, uh, uh, like <laughs> <laughs> like seeing that. Yeah. So, uh, is there anything else you in this um, movie that you think is worth noting before we wrap it up? Uh, I would like to mention. So, the budget of this film in the year two thousand was seventy five million, uh, which was a lot at the time. A lot at the time. Uh, what yeah. did they spend that on? Because the movie doesn't have a lot of effects or anything. I that seems kind of high. Know. Uh, Bruce Willis. <laughs> Bruce Willis, like I, you know, I'm guessing that everybody was hoping it was gonna be a hit since Sixth Sense, yeah. two years before, was one of the biggest movies it, of all time. Uh, it grossed uh, 248 million dollars. Wow, which is very was good then, good now. Um, Shyamalan, because I'm into the Oscars. Shyamalan's previous film, Sixth Sense, nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Picture. I have to mention his follow up, nothing. No Oscars, not even any technical nominations. It did get uh, some Blockbuster Entertainment Award nominations. <laughs> oh, I have one of those. We all have one of those. <laughs> it's a meaningless award. Do they still give that award out? 
<laughs> Blockbuster awards so white controversy. Oh, wouldn't, that be, wouldn't that be something if Blockbuster went out of business? But the awards, but the awards still happen. It still goes on. Uh, so the, <laughs> the other thing I want to mention is um, uh, it won a German award, the Bogie uh, Award. Uh, it was a silver place winner. Uh, the heck's a Bogie Award? It's uh, this German award i i found somewhere i wish i had bought it it was a german poster of bram stoker's francis ford coppola's dracula yeah uh so it was in german and it had like critic uh, blurbs on it but from european critics mm -hmm. and one was uh, my favorite was it uh, received four fedoras from the like bogey award association <laughs> He's just a guy in his garage, just like a German man, being like, I like this movie, Ford Fedoras for the Bogey Award. <laughs> and is it Bogey, like Humphrey Bogart? Like Humphrey Bogart, Or yeah. Bogey, like in Top Gun, where it's like, you know, I got Bogey. Maybe Humphrey Bogart. Uh, pro that probably yeah. makes more sense. So the Bogey in Top Gun is also <laughs> Humphrey Bogart. Right, what are they called, or, Bogeys uh, in Top shot. Gun? Oh, I'm, I thought you were thinking of Hot Shots. Oh. Where he says, I've got a bogey on my six, and looks like behind <laughs> him, and Humphrey Bogart is sitting right behind him. See? Jim Abraham's new. And I guess it's, uh, so if you haven't seen Split yet, maybe turn this off at this point, but we have to talk about, we have, we to, have to talk about we Split. We unfortunately have to get we, into Split. We will talk more about Split once we get to Split, not currently on home video, but we'll be once we get to that episode, because we still have like another eight episodes before that. So, so little did we know that Split was Unbreakable Part 2, or that Unbreakable was Split Part 1. So Split... We won't go into the details of Split other than there's a bad guy in the movie and the bad guy gets away at the end and then there's a scene at the end of the movie post is it post credits or is it no. post like no, it's like it's the movie is like I'm still going it's still winding uh, down but you think it's done there's a part in a diner where everyone's in a diner and they're watching the news uh, of like this this bad guy and the things he did and then the lady turns to another, an old lady like at the diner turns to the lady and be like that reminds because they give the bad guy in split a weird name they give him the menagerie is that what they call him uh, possibly something I, like that I already forgot <laughs> we'll we'll get more into it when we do the episode and then he's got a weird name and the lady turns to the lady like that's a weird name that reminds me of who's that other guy that had that weird name remember that guy with the weird name it was like what was that miss what was it. Was it? And then it, the camera pans to Bruce Willis as his clearly his character. He, in case, if there was any doubt, he is He's wearing a uniform, uniform that says his name. His that it says name. like David on it. It's a David Dunn. And it says he says Mr. Glass, and they're like, yeah, Mr. Glass. And so it's like, oh, so this is the same world as Unbreakable. So we can only assume that when this movie ends, that Bruce Willis is going to go after this bad guy. Though he did a shit job because he should have like had the premonition like he did in the, the Unbreakable that he saw the bad guy kidnap people and like stop it before it gets like war out of hand. So he wasn't able to really do that. Out of hand. But it is it like we'll go into more of why this ending doesn't work in Split and why it's a little ridiculous. But it was the uh, Unbreakable sequel that some Shyamalan fans have always hoped would maybe exist. Uh, what's weird is I remember. I don't remember how many years afterwards, but I thought I hear, heard an interview with Shemlon where he kind of was speaking ill of Unbreakable, where he was kind of like, oh, that one wasn't as good as the other stuff. Like, maybe I made this up. 
And, I, but I thought I thought he was something where he was a little like disappointed by it, and and like, may, is that true? Did I like, did I totally fabricate that, that in I my recall. mind? Uh, well, I remember from the book the man who heard voices about the making of Lady in the Water. Uh, was that Shyamalan? He was very upset that the script for Unbreakable had gotten out. It had leaked on the but, net. Yeah, on the net. Early it, net leak. It, yeah, it was still the net. You know, it, it, he was very, very disappointed at mm. that and angry, and he thought that. I mean, it did did well over two hundred million dollars, but he thought that like it would have done better, or it have had a better reaction uh, from like- everyone. If the script hadn't leaked out, which I didn't know until I read that book. But there was like, I feel like in the year 2000, it was still the time where not everybody was on the internet all the time. Like, am I, am I right? Or was I just like a poor kid? Uh, But but I remember it being, it's not like now where like there's new movie news about movies that aren't existing yet. And no, you had, you had to know know about every, you know about everything that's happening before it happens. Like people, Uh, like the internet shoves that information in your face. You had to go hunting for that information back then. Like I wouldn't know in the year 2000, how to find a screenplay that was, I wouldn't either. I think I found a a screenplay for like a website with a screenplay for eyes wide shut, but I I did not read it because I wanted to enjoy the film as as a fresh experience for for the first time, mm-hmm. uh, so that's what I did. <laughs> internet. <laughs> so I can see him being disappointed. There. So maybe he wasn't let down by Unbreakable. In my mind, I thought he like but didn't like this I know, one as much um, as other stuff. But. Right after Split came out, um, there were news stories, you know, quote unquote news stories, movie news stories from websites run by some guy. <laughs> about how like M. Night Shyamalan talks about because he's 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 on the bounce back he did the visit which did well financially because it costs so little mm-hmm. and some people like it and I don't know why but we'll get to that later <laughs> and he did split a big hit people like it and so yeah he's on he's on he's on the bounce back he's on the comeback like what's he doing next and this article like Shyamalan talks about how he wants to make uh an unbreakable sequel. It's like, oh, and then you see Split, like, oh yeah. He made it. That is the unbreakable sequel. That is the unbreakable sequel. Yeah. Unless the next movie is like Bruce Willis tracking down <clears throat> the Split villain. Because we'll get more into it when we get to Split, but like in that Unbreakable is an entire movie of an origin of a hero. Split, I guess, could be read as the entire origin of a villain. And so then the, the logical next movie would be the two of them fighting each other. Yeah. Or whatever, you know, like, I don't know what you would do with that. I, know, I, 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 I hope he doesn't do that. I really uh, hope he doesn't do I it. I feel like that would be really reaching to fill uh, 90 minutes to have something like that. Shaman, I don't know how that would work. Um, Shaman has announced on Twitter that he has started writing his next movie. Hasn't said uh, what it is. Hmm. Uh, but there's, you know, strong Twitter speculation that it's an unbreakable sequel, but that can neither so be I wonder if he will confirmed take, or believed or anything. Like, I wonder if he'll make unbreakable, like be like, Oh, this will be my Marvel. I'll make like eight. Um, like this will be this whole made up comic universe where I own all the characters and it's its own thing. That like, would I be wonder if that's like what something. he would do. And I mean, like, that would be weird. It'd be weird. It'd be weird because now that's a thing before you could do it where, like all of Kevin Smith's films 
take place in the same universe and loosely tie together, like Mallrats is the day before Clerks. And his last few aren't though, are they? Like no. is he tied Red State or Yoga uh, Hosers? Yoga Hosers ties into Tusk. I don't think Tusk or Red State ties into Mallrats, anything Clerks, else. Uh, Chase and Amy, uh, Dogma, all that. But stuff. yeah, those are all in like the same universe but who cares kevin smith doesn't even really care it's not a big deal it's like if you notice it then it's cool but if not then that's fine yeah he doesn't make a big deal about it even when jay and silent bob are in every film yeah it's like well they're just in every film so yeah yeah uh but i really hope Shyamalan doesn't do this cinematic universe in a really like obvious ham-fisted way where like oh like, you know, someone's, like, driving in the background, like, oh, my car broke down in this farm in rural Pennsylvania, and someone comes out of the house, and it's Mel Gibson, like, I'll help you change your tire yeah. or whatever. Like, the- <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, like, because I feel like we're in sort of, like, the second, or I guess third wave of his, like, film career. Like, you had his yeah. pre-Sixth Sense struggling filmmaker thing, then you had your sixth sense till his downfall sort of thing, and now we're in his comeback kid phase where he's had two hits. Like Split was huge hit, like it was number one movie in America for, for like three weeks. Months. Yeah, and at least three weeks. And 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 it made, and what's good about it is that it made people check out Unbreakable again. So like uh, at the video store we work at, people were being like, "Do you have Unbreakable?" Like, we have people that hadn't seen Unbreakable because either they were too young or does it just pass them by? Who are going back and watching it because of Split? So that's and we a good have thing. we have two copies of Unbreakable, yeah. which normally is more than enough. Uh, but there was a time January, early February, when both copies were constantly checked out. Like it was it was the hot new movie mm-hmm. that came out seventeen years ago. Yeah, so it was great that people are going back and watching this actually great movie, truly yeah. great movie. Um, so I rate this as the best of the Shyamalan movies we've seen so far. I think this is number one, six cents, number two, but I feel this is number one by a long shot. Like this movie is so good. I could watch it again tomorrow. I like it so much. This does feel like it's made by like a a really skilled, competent, established filmmaker. uh, Everything in it seems so deliberate. Like it's the shots are done that way because he's thought it all out and it, you know, it works. It ties Mm -hmm. into something that happens later. It's not too long. It doesn't feel too long. It is a very very tightly paced film. It goes by real quick. Yeah. Uh, so do you, so, but you still think you like Six Sense more? Uh, I don't know. When I, I uh, before I rewatched the Six Sense, I easily said yes. But having rewatched the Six Sense recently, uh, the like emotions of the Six Sense with Haley Joel Osment and his mom really hit me mm-hmm. more now that I'm like mm. a mature adult person than a like fourteen year old kid. Yeah. Uh, so. That's what makes me hesitate, but I guess I probably would put. I, I think I would. Yes, I, I will rank Unbreakable number one right now. Breakable number one, wow. Six Sense two. Wow. And then uh, what do we have? <laughs> uh, for me, it would be so I go Unbreakable one, Six Sense two, then Pray with Anger, then Wide Awake, and then Stuart Little on the bottom. And like we shouldn't even count that because he's wrote it. But as the ones he directed. Like, the, like, top three so far right now is Unbreakable Six Sense, Praying with Anger. Unbreakable Six Sense. Uh, yeah, Praying with Anger, then why the way? It's better. It's better. I think it is. It, it, yeah. I, I think so, too. <laughs> I'm trying to think, like, just which one, 
Which one would I want to watch again? If you know, I would I, never watch Wide Awake again. I w- but I would watch Pray with Anger again. I wouldn't really want to watch either of those again. But before I watch Wide Awake again, I think I would watch Pray with Anger again because I think I maybe said it before. Like it is like this like young kid who wants to show off like what he can do. So there is am- like ambition to that film, mm-hmm. and Wide Awake feels utterly utterly conventional. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I think we're done, right? Uh, Is there any more you want to say there, about uh, no, I mentioned I mentioned the Blockbuster Award, so that's... What, uh, which Blockbuster Award did it win? Uh, it was. It did not win. It was only nominated oh, for yeah. uh, uh, actor Samuel Jackson and Bruce Willis and supporting actress Robin Wright. So none of us are Samuel Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, Blockbuster Award's so white. I know. I uh, wonder what it lost to. Like, What was the movie in the year 2000 a Blockbuster was championing? Uh, probably uh, Gladiator. Oh, yeah. I can't see them being like, Traffic was the best film of 2000, which was it was. Wonder Boys 2000? Yes, Wonder Boys was 2000. I would like to think that Blockbuster is like, Wonder Boys all the way. It was sweat to the Blockbuster yeah. Awards. <laughs> probably not. When did they stop doing the Blockbuster Awards? Did it end before Blockbuster ended? Yeah, well, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or did they at the same time being like, we planned the Blockbuster Awards, we were going to do it, we had a host lined up, but gosh, we had to close our last few stores. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry. Like, and everyone's like, oh, man. We can't afford uh, baskets this year. Blockbuster Awards. Uh, so next month, I believe it's signs. Yes, is that right? It is we're going right into signs. It'll be interesting. I have not seen this movie since the theater. I've only seen it once. I've seen I'm it. Very excited to read it. Uh, a little little sneak preview. Don't want to say too much, but signs uh, came out my senior year of high school when I was working on the school newspaper and had uh, declared myself entertainment editor. Ooh, did you write a review of Signs? I did, and then it was number one on my 10 best of 2002 <laughs> list. Whoa! Uh, I, you need to find that review, and I want you to read read it. Then I want to hear. 18-year-old I, AJ's review of signs. I will have to call my mother. <laughs> you don't have it framed somewhere? I found all uh, of my old uh, Yote Howell reviews. Because uh, it was the uh, Alice Coyotes. So the, uh, the paper was the Yote Howell. <laughs> uh, I found all of them when I was going through uh, my, my childhood bedroom. And I did not bring them back to Austin with me. Uh, so I, was, yeah. I was still learning. I was still learning. So science. I'm, I'm very excited to go into science. I'm really me pumped too. for this. Like if I'm, I, actually, from here on out, I believe, with the exception of the happening, these will all be the second time I've seen these movies from here on out. Like Unbreakable and Six Sense, I saw them quite a few times. But if everything else from here on out, well, this will be the second time I've seen it. Uh, so like it really will be quite a difference. It'll be interesting to compare from like because science was you know fifteen fourteen years ago, and just to see how it has changed uh, with all of these movies from here on out. Because like I feel like Six Sense and Unbreakable were so beloved to me at the time, and then for a few years after I still watched them a lot and owned them and made other people watch it. But then Signs on up, I didn't revisit them as at all. Uh, except for the happening. Uh, and so uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see as time has gone on, like how it's changed. And it'll be interesting to kind of like, I think I'm going to think about that when watching it again, sort of like how I thought about it and how I think about it now. And 
maybe talk about that. It'll be very fascinating to see what. Yeah. We, because also this is pre. It's, we're getting into some Mel Gibson, who also my opinion has changed. Over <laughs> like he's done some things yeah. in the last seventeen years. Very like what we thought of Mel Gibson is kind of our has changed since uh, post sign. Because that was all post signs, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I'm really, so I'm really we'll see. Mel Gibson up till the stuff. Yeah. You know, I, was, I was a fan, so he's, You know what? He's doing Suicide Squad too. We can all like him again. <laughs> we can bring him back. He was nominated yeah. for an Oscar again for the first time in a long time. Yeah, that was more, something, man. More that power was like, to Mel Gibson. Whoa. We can go more into the intricate nature of Mel Gibson uh, next yeah. month. I would like to mention uh, we are on Twitter, of course, at, VM, at VM Nightshift. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us uh, at uh, vmnightshift at gmail.com. Brian, you ran into some people that listen to some listeners at our... Yes, uh, hello to the two people yes. that uh, listen to the thing. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you. Thanks to everyone that uh, that <laughs> listens, all, all three, possibly four of you. A friend of the podcast, a good friend of mine, Shane gave me a, a wonderful gift a uh an actual authentic movie theater movie poster of the happening fancy which is i'm i'm enjoying that and i and i will enjoy it more once i get it framed <laughs> so uh so thank so you there you go you've already considered this a success you've got a gift of a poster yes yeah, so uh yes yeah, so thank you to our listeners who we have met and uh and no exist and, uh, yeah. and thanks to Shane for the for the wonderful gift <laughs> and uh, thank you for thank you all for listening we thank will you. be back next month to review signs, signs. <laughs> oh boy okay. alright thank you goodbye goodbye Shyamalan twist.